my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. iHeartRadio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up rituals Scrub star Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling. Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Welcome to another chat in the iHeart Podcast Speaker Series. As you know, every week we like to talk to one of our favorite podcasters or producers, creators, talk about what's happening in the industry, what's happening with their shows. And today is a chat I've been looking forward to. You know, we spend a lot of time indoors these days, of course, in the work that we do in recording studios, on email. And every once in a while, we need a reminder 
to get outside. This is one of those great reminders for us today. We're joined by Steve Ranella, who is the creator of Meat Eater, the host of the fantastic podcast, host of the long-running TV show, best-selling author of 10 books. There's actually a book I want to ask you about in just a second here. But Steve, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the chance. You know, Steve, every time I talk to somebody on your team, I feel like you're off to some crazy new location, you know, whether you're on a trip talking about hunting or fishing or just the outdoors in general. And I have to ask you, where have you been recently? What fun spots have you been to recently? In a week, I'm headed down to Sonora, Mexico, but barely into Mexico. Like you can look back into the U.S. from where we go and we go down there and, and, and hunt deer every winter. But lately, I've just been hanging around home, which is unusual for me to have the amount of time I've had home over the last month. It's been real nice. We have some snowmobiles and, you know, we have a lot of mountains here outside of going on snow machines. So much of it's uh, largely inaccessible. So I've just been cruising around with my kids up in the mountains, checking stuff out on snowmobiles, and it's just dead quiet and no one's around. You know, it's great because, uh, you know, in the summer, there's a lot of people out, but in the winter, you can have a lot of it to yourself. So that's been beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. And the kids like getting out there as well. Yeah, we're in a little bit of a family dispute about the safety of snowmobiles and, <laughs> and what is an appropriate speed and, and helmet policies and things. <laughs> Is that a debate with you and the yeah, kids yeah, or you and your oh, wife? Oh, no, they or... don't have any opinions about it, me and my wife. Okay. My, my yeah. wife and I rolled one over the other day on the side of a hill. And, and then, you know, there's a racer, a race car driver, Ken Block, you know, does these crazy rally car stuff and all these stunts. On the same day that my wife and I rolled our snowmobile, Ken Block was killed in a snowmobile accident. So it really forced these safety conversations, which which we have a lot around outdoor issues, you know? Yes. And I always like to point out to my wife that the only things that have actually put our kids in the emergency room have been swing sets, trampolines, Legos, yeah. scooters, nothing in the woods. The usual suspects. <laughs> yeah. Very good thing to get out in the open. You know, I meant to ask you, obviously, we'd been following what you'd been up to in the world of TV. You've had such mm -hmm. a long running, successful show. And then we talked about the books as well. I'm curious for you, what's different about podcasting? Like what drew you to podcasting in the first place? And how do you see it as different from everything else that you're up to? Man, my perception of it now is so different than when I got into it back then, years ago. We started Meat Eater as a TV show over 10 years ago, but it was just that. It was just a TV show. And in hindsight, quite luckily, we owned the show. I owned it as a joint venture with a production company called Zero Point Zero Production. And they most famously did all the Bourdain shows, right? Normally, when you make a show like ours, the network owns it. And in a production Production people are, are like a contractor building a house, meaning you produce the house, right? The person buys the house, you hand them the keys, and you never walk back into the house ever again. We only ever licensed Meat Eater, okay? And, and that at the time was just because if someone would have wanted to have bought it, we would have sold it to them. But it just wound up that we like licensed it out. So we always held the right of the name. We always held the right to any kind of merchandise or anything we did around it. So once we started the show, I was able to launch a podcast under the same name, utilizing all those same assets, which you would not have been able to do, right? Like in, in a normal TV circumstance, like I'm guessing that whatever rights there would be to doing a, you know, a Monday night football podcast would be held by the NFL who owns Monday night football, not by the producers who produce the show. And I didn't have to worry about monetization then just because 
we weren't spending any money making it. I got into it just, I have a friend of mine who's a longtime player in podcasting. I'd gone on his show a bunch. The first time I ever heard the word podcast was when I was invited to go on Joe Rogan's podcast. I had never heard the word. I could tell you where I was sitting and who said it to me. Really? <laughs> Helen Cho was the first person I ever heard <laughs> utter the word podcast. Right. He encouraged me to start one and I started one. We did it for a long time without trying to monetize it at all. Mm-hmm. I just thought of it like a, just a whim, you know, it was fun, it was a whim. It was a way to keep in weekly contact with people. When you're doing TV, you know, you might come out with a season of shows and then you kind of go silent for eight months or nine months or a year. And it was just a way to have it out there. Books too, like it takes me a year to do a book. Mm-hmm. You have an audience, but you need to go refine them. And podcasting enabled you to just be in constant contact with people on a weekly basis. Yep. It allowed eventually great monetization, you know, thanks in large part to iHeart and ability to monetize the shows. And as well, a great way to bring audience to other projects. Like when we do book projects, for instance, like traditional publishing, we're selling most of those books. Right. Right. It's not bookstores, I mean, not to discredit them. It's not people in indies hand selling books. It's not marketing on Amazon selling books. Like for us, we're selling our books. Yeah. Selling our books in large measure, probably the biggest large measure through podcasts. Second to that, probably social media. Mm-hmm. And then down the road is all those traditional things that had traditionally moved books. So I can't overstate the impact that podcasting had on the economics of being in media and just the audience building aspects of being in media. You know, I've been doing this exclusively for 20 years, right? So I've seen a lot of things come up and go away. Another thing podcasting did was it opened up my mind to the idea that rather than being an author, right, rather than being a TV host, I'm a person who has a set of ideas that I want to communicate. And I'm more open to communicating them in new ways when I might have originally imagined myself being like an author of hardcover books (laughs) that you carry around with you, right? Like in my mind, that's what media was. Yeah. Yeah. And podcasting enabled me to have a much more expansive view of what media was as a product. Yeah. And you you mentioned, you know, having that way of having regular contact with this listenership. When we first started talking about working together, we, of course, tried to get a sense of what your audience looked like. There were a few things that struck me. One, I think when people think of, you know, the hunting and the fishing and the outdoor space, they think of it as like a niche audience. And I guess to some extent it is, right? It's not the full population. But what was interesting to us was how huge this audience is, but not only how big the audience is, but how fanatical they are. And I mean that in the most positive way, just how loyal they are as listeners of the podcast. One of the first things we did when we saw your episodes were 90 minutes, two hours long. And, you know, that's a lot of time for somebody to commit And so we started looking at, you know, the completion rates of the podcast. People were listening through all the way, like 99 out of 100 people were listening to the full episodes. And it was mind blowing to see this. So that sort of diehard fan base that you have, it doesn't surprise me that that becomes the most effective way, you know, for you to be able to sell books or anything new that you're doing. And it's why, you know, our partners who've sponsored the podcast to this point are so happy being part of the podcast because... When you're talking about something, your listeners are, are really paying attention. So it's, it's been pretty awesome to see that. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I don't know if when you started out to say, I'm going to do a podcast, if you were thinking these were going to be 30 minute episodes, or if you're like, you know what, we're just going to start having a conversation and talking about this. And if that's two hours long, that's two hours long. Any thoughts on that initially? Yeah, my awareness into that, my awareness into podcasting was through a show that runs two, three or more hours. So that was in my head. The ones I was participating in as a guest were long. Now, our company, we have a podcast network. I'm always telling hosts and when we're developing new shows, I'm really trying to go against my own 
experience against the advice that was given to me at a time. And I'm like, man, try to do something clean. Like try to do something 20 minutes, try to do something 30 minutes. Like just try to have it be clean and tight. Like I didn't, right? And I didn't, I got away with it, but I don't know if everybody's going to get yeah. away with that. And I'm always trying to impose, suggest a brevity to people I work with that I haven't been personally constrained by because I'm, I'm aware of it being a big ask. You especially become aware of it if you listen to news programming. If you go around, you're cruising around the FM dial. There's nothing analogous to a two-hour free-flowing no. conversation, no. you know? Because there's, there's a bandwidth issue, right? It's not as expansive where everybody can just do it on their own and put it out there and make perhaps a crowded space. It didn't feel early when I got into it, but in hindsight, I got into podcasting early. Did. I think that if I was doing it now, I would probably build something very programmatic, mm -hmm. tightly edited, short. That's probably what I would make now in response to what I'm seeing out there and in a way that I would strive to differentiate the product. It's why I'm glad that you got in <laughs> earlier because, yeah. you know, there's something that works about it. Not everybody can do that. And, you know, we remind ourselves here, it's a little too easy to fall into the trap of saying, here's how you define a podcast. A podcast is 30 minutes long, it's two people talking, it's X, Y, Z. And in reality, it's wide open. It's an RSS feed. You can do whatever you want on it. And so we really try to experiment on both ends of that spectrum, saying there should be some shows that when somebody wakes up, it's the thing they want to listen to for five minutes to start their day. Great. That's what that podcast is. For you guys, you have this diehard audience that Maybe they're out on a drive. Maybe they've got a long commute. Maybe they've got a two-hour drive to when they're going on their own outdoor adventure. And this gives them something to listen to as a family, which is mm -hmm. another thing that I think is such a great quality about the programming that you guys do is it's really sort of intended. And you tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it feels like it's intended for everyone. This might be parents and their kids that are headed out on a fishing trip. It feels like everything you guys do is really intended for anybody that's just in love with the outdoors or wants to be in love with the outdoors. Does that feel fair to say? Yeah, I'm always surprised by how many people who come up and talk about that they listen with their families. I've never given that promise, you know, that this is a show for families. And in fact, you know, there's I guess something beyond mild language gets used. We touch on subject matters where if I was imagining for families, we might eliminate some of the subjects we talk about. We might change the way we talk about some things. But to be honest with you, like no parents are the same, okay? But to be honest with you, I've never talked about or covered anything on the show that I wouldn't be comfortable playing to my kids, my kids, eight, 10, and 12, all right? That is not to say that any parent out there, it's not a G rating, okay? So if families operate under a G rating, then I would tell them this isn't for you, but I could say like, but I'm not hypocritical in that I would play any episode we've ever done to my kids and we would talk about these issues. And so it's been nice to see so many other families that feel the same way. And then, you know, we have a trivia show as well, and it's on the same feed. It's a weekly trivia show. And that more than, than the main show we get from people who are like, you know, we hear a lot of only show my husband will listen to with me, only show my wife will listen to with me, the only show my whatever will listen to. And it touches that question load in it. A lot of it's maybe very nerdy in the outside thing where people might hear and be like, how in the world did anybody know that? But every show has a great balance of stuff that you would know. And the host of that show, he has a thing called the Shelby Index. His wife is named Shelby. No interest in hunting, fishing, whatever. 
she <laughs> always does the trivia. And he aims to have it be that she's going to score three or four. Right. Yep. And that's called the Shelby index. And he I love the winner to do twice as good. But if, if, <laughs> if he can go to his wife and she gets stumped by the 10 questions, he knows he's not doing his job right. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be fun for everybody, you know, and yep. everybody wants to have that feeling of like, I know that. Right. I love and, that. And he cultivates a thing that that is approachable to the nerds. And, and I use that term meaning like the people that are just obsessed. Yeah, of course. They're going to get the eights and nines. And then the people that are just sort of awake in the world can bank on getting, you know, two or three, right? Yeah, so there's that yeah. balance of knowing your real hardcore audience, but also having a big tent attitude, you know, to try to make something that will give people a toe in the door, right? Right. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other shows that are in the network? You obviously made the decision. You've got the flagship show, Meat Eater, which mm -hmm. is just a huge, huge show listened to by millions of people every single month. And then you decided to expand beyond that with people with different sort of specific interests. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other shows in the network? One of the shows we have, we did a news roundup, which I imagine is called Cal's Week in Review. And it's one of the shows I'm most jealous of. Like if I didn't have to do what I what I do, I would be like, man, that would be a fun show to make. Yeah. And it's a weekly roundup of issues of wildlife, wildlife conservation, hunting, fishing, outdoor news. It's quick. It's funny. Mediator podcast, we might spend two hours talking to a mountain lion biologist about predation. Cal's Week in Review, if something really crazy happened in the news, he might give it 30 seconds. Right. right? <laughs> but it's, it's so it's, it's very different. It stays in that same interest set, but it's fast and it gets you up to speed in all kinds of issues. We have a bunch of shows, but another show that I love and I was very involved in getting it up and running and creating, it was a thing called the Bear Grease podcast. And it's a, yep. it's a documentary style show. To give some awareness, it's, it's more like something you might imagine if you crossed an NPR host with Daniel Boone, you know, right. <laughs> it's good way to and, put it, it. and it's like with, with interviews, right? An atmospheric sound and a narrator. And there's a travel element to it. Like the host will go down to see the border wall between the U.S. and Mexico and talk to landowners and wildlife professionals about the implications, right? And it's immersive and documentary style. That I view as a show that would just really be wide open to a wide array of people who are interested in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. We have a show, Wired to Hunt, right, which is meant to be a, a somewhat technical show, particularly for people that love to hunt white-tailed deer. You know, it's a fairly ubiquitous animal. It's the most hunted for animal in America in terms of man hours. And if you're into that, and a lot of people are, that's a great place to go get like really detailed information. There's a duplicative element, perhaps, in that they're outdoor shows, they're nature-obsessed. But they're all filling different things. We have some audience members that take in two or three. We have some that just like one of those shows. I'm curious, just with your own interest, did you grow up spending a lot of time hunting and fishing? Was this like always a big part of your life? Oh, yeah, man. There's a thing about hunters and fishermen where it's one of those activities that you use to define yourself. Oftentimes, regardless of how little time one might spend doing it, meaning you could go to an amusement park with your family two weekends a year. And you would never tell someone, if they asked about you, you would never say I'm an amusement park enthusiast, okay? But if there's a Wisconsinite who hunts, every year hunts opening weekend of deer season, they will for the rest of the year, if you ask them about themselves, they will tell you that they're a hunter. It's a defining thing. Now we were anything but weekend 
specialists. Like we were like full time as kids and my father was a big outdoorsman, but it was how we defined ourselves. But I think an outsider might've looked at like how we fill our calendar up and what we're doing day to day to day. And they would have said like, those people are into this. That's hardcore. Yeah. I did a lot of the other stuff everybody does. I hung out with friends and enjoyed movies and read. But if I was to apply a word to myself then when I was 10, 20, 30, 40, if I was going to apply a word to myself, I would have said I was an outdoorsman. Well, I'd like how you've taken that and your sort of platform that you have or whatever you want to call it, the reach that you have to this audience. And you've not only focused on the topics of hunting and fishing, but also conservation and sort of realizing the the place that we all have in this space and the ability to be able to be out there and, and enjoy the great outdoors as well. How do you see your role in that or your responsibility in terms of, you know, being able to promote good conservation and use of the land and use of the water and all of that and, you know, so that we can all enjoy it, hopefully, for many years to come? When thinking about my audience, I can generally take for granted that my audience loves nature. Now, they might not choose to use that word. They might not recognize that their relationship with nature is one of love, but they're going to be people who feel most at home in the outdoors, most excited when engaging with nature. There are people when they're driving down the road and look out the window of the car and they see some turkeys or a deer or a red-tailed hawk are going to be excited by that, view that as a positive, want that to happen more. Okay, I know that that's true. So for me to push an idea of having a strong conservation ethic, I'm starting with a baseline that I understand. For me, the job is saying those feelings that you have for the natural world and those things that you feel when you're out hunting, when you're out fishing, when you're out picking mushrooms, that's love. Like what you're feeling is love for nature. Yeah. So own up to that. Recognize it for what it is. Own up to it and ask yourself, what are my obligations to this thing that I love and how can I perpetuate it? If I was talking to a completely an audience that was completely unfamiliar, I'd have to start with something very basic where someone would come and ask, how can you say that you love animals, but then you will kill them and eat them? Right. And you'd have to explain that. Right. Which involves understanding the conservation history of America, understanding hunting in America, understanding these key figures, Aldo Leopold and Theodore Roosevelt. And you go down, down the line. But I don't need to do all that all the time. Because I'm talking with people primarily that that contradiction doesn't exist in their mind. They already get it. They already get it and see it. Like these are people who are trying to improve wildlife habitat on their property, who are going on vacation to go up in the mountains and experience the mountains. So for me, it's just saying, you guys love it. I know you love it. What do you need to do? What do you owe it? What do you owe this thing you love? And I can help you figure that out. You know, X, Y, and Z are going to help you rest assured that the things that you love are there for your kids. The things that you love now are there for you in your old age. And that's a pretty easy thing to pull off. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been successful with it is because I'm starting out with a very empathetic audience. Yeah, and it's been awesome to see it grow. It just, like I said at the top here, seeing how big this audience is and how many people are so interested in it and spending the time with each of the podcasts, it's been really fun watching this all come together. And and we genuinely appreciate the work that you do, love being partners 
with you guys. I know there are more shows in the works for launch this year, but Steve, just want to say congrats for everything you've built here with Meat Eater and the whole network and wishing you guys the best of 2023 and, and excited to see what's to come. Thank you, man. And, and, and thank you to everybody at iHeart. You guys have been great. It's really been helpful, the relationship. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks everybody for joining us again today. We'll be back with you next week. Take care. Conversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.